Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Our call to worship this morning is from Mary Oliver. I worried a lot. Will the garden grow? Will the rivers flow in the right direction? Will the earth turn as it is taught? And if not, how shall I correct it? Was I right? Was I wrong? Will I be forgiven? Can I do better? Will I ever be able to sing? Even the sparrows can do it, and I am, well, hopeless. Is my eyesight fading or am I just imagining it? Am I going to get rheumatism, lockjaw, dementia? Finally, I saw that worrying had come to nothing and I gave it up and I took my old body and went out into the morning and sang. Come, let us worship together. Wow, it's the middle of August already. Summer's winding down, and soon I will travel to Boston to visit the Ministerial Fellowship Committee, the body that credentials those seeking ordination in the Unitarian Universalist denomination. For those of you who may not know me, I have been a member of this congregation for 17 years and discovered my call to ministry while sitting in a pew right over there. What an amazing journey it's been. I have missed you all so much this past year while I've been across the river doing my internship at Unity Church. But I've kept up with the happenings here through the weekly newsletter, and I've been listening to every sermon podcast. They have blessed me while I was away. Thank you, First Universalist Church, for all the ways you've nurtured, supported, and celebrated me and my call to ministry. I am truly grateful. I'm happy to report that I am now the Director of Congregational Programming at Minnesota Valley UU Fellowship in Bloomington. Yay! <laughs> I'll be working with the Reverend Laura Thompson there. It's good to be here. So earlier this summer, I traveled to Kansas City to attend the Unitarian Universalist General Assembly, a conference for Unitarian Universalists that is held yearly. I look forward to this event because I get to be in conversation with Unitarian Universalists from all over, catch up with colleagues and friends, and attend interesting workshops. One evening, I was walking with the Reverend Lisa Friedman, my internship supervisor from Unity, and her longtime friend and colleague, Lee. We were on our way to sit down and catch up after a busy day. Lisa kindly asked me how GA was going and what some of the highlights had been so far. I told her about a workshop on reimagining intergenerational worship services that I attended and about a few of the good restaurants I'd been eating at. But then I excitedly added, but one of the best evenings was Wednesday night when there was a break in the schedule. I grabbed some food at a nearby grocery store, took it back to my hotel room, and settled in 
to read a scholarly article that my favorite professor at United Seminary had just sent me about Reinhold Niebuhr, a famous ethicist and theologian. Lisa laughed and explained to her colleague who had only just met me that I'm a bit of a theology nerd in the best sense of the word. <laughs> who would actually spend an evening reading a scholarly article and think that was fun? Well, me, of course. I share this story with you this morning because I feel so grateful to have found a vocation, a calling that brings me so much joy, one where I have genuine passion and excitement and that I can't imagine will ever become boring, one where it is even celebrated to be a theology, a theology nerd. I hope to be doing ministry and theological study and teaching in some capacity for the rest of my life. But how about you? What has been your journey to discovering the things that animate and ground your life? What might be waiting to emerge if you could slow down long enough to notice it? Teacher and Quaker Parker Palmer writes that before I can tell my life what I want to do with it, I must listen to my life telling me who I am. Vocation is not just about what we do, but who we are as individuals and as a community. Vocation calls us into relationship with our deeper purpose. I'm wondering if you are noticing where and how you experience your deeper purpose coming through. Perhaps you see it in your employment, or when you sit with a loved one's pain, or when you care for the earth. Maybe you felt it when you attended one of the poor people's campaign rallies, was a witness during an immigration trial, or when you called out the ignorance and hatred of racism and xenophobia. Or perhaps you touch vocation in moments of prayer, art, or song. How do we slow down and dance with life in a new way, not as an obstacle course to get through, but as a host of holy voices calling us to greater loving and living? John O'Donohue, in the poem I read earlier, suggests that the inner teacher emerges in those out-of-the-way places of the heart where your thoughts never think to wander. This beginning that has been quietly forming, waiting until you are ready to emerge. For a long time, it has watched your desire, feeling the emptiness growing inside you, noticed how you willed yourself on, unable to leave what you had outgrown. Is there an emptiness growing inside of you, perhaps giving you a clue to a new interest, calling, or passion? Or perhaps you tried something new which helped you become more fully yourself. You remembered who you are. This is how it was for me, discovering my call to ministry. I remembered how much I loved confirmation process at the UCC church I grew up in thinking about and answering the big questions of faith. And then there it was again, during the senior minister search committee here in this church nine years ago. In the process of discerning where this church was theologically and what it needed in a new minister, I began asking these questions of myself. I rediscovered a deep longing for intellectual study and theological discernment. I noticed that the books on my bedside table were either about theology, spirituality, or about church management and governance. Not one of them was about project management or consulting, which was my profession at the time. 
What I discovered upon reflection is that I chose a career largely out of self-preservation. I was never passionate about project management or training and development. It was an okay fit, but once I could slow down and listen to my life telling me who I was, I realized that I yearned to be a student again and ask the big questions. In 2012, I enrolled as a divinity student at United Theological Seminary. The Bible, theology, world religions, and the questions philosophy asked intrigued and excited me immediately. I couldn't then and still can't get enough. I am a theology nerd at heart. But let me pause here for a second and point out that it hasn't been easy. Self-doubt crept in many times. In fact, if you are following the dates, the search process ended in 2009. I didn't pursue ministry until 2012, a full three years later. Why? Because I'd convinced myself that someone who was a business major in college could never learn to preach. Preachers are supposed to have liberal arts degrees, like creative writing or English or history. I had constructed this standard, this idea of what a minister was supposed to be like, and I had convinced myself that I did not fit the profile. There was no place in my heart for unexpected guests or an altar for the unknown God to arrive. Instead, I gave in to what English poet David White calls the three illusions. Illusion number one, I can construct a life in which I am not vulnerable, one where I will be immune from all of the difficulties, ill health, and losses that humanity has been subject to since the beginning of time. White points out that if we look at the natural world, there is no part of that world that doesn't go through cycles of hiddenness, then growth, fullness, then disappearance. Think of the cycle of the seasons. We look at that and say it's beautiful, but then in our own lives, we only want the growth, spring and summer. When the disappearance starts happening, I'll just close my eyes and wait for the new cycle to begin. But White explains that the implication of this is that we are at war with reality 50% of the time. Spiritual maturity means being able to live in the full cycle. For me, the vulnerability was all about preaching. How could I learn to tell stories, write creatively? I was a business major, for crying out loud. But I remember Reverend Justin Schroeder telling me once, Andrea, you know, I've been at this preaching a while. Preaching is also about practice and skill, and it can be learned. Live in the full cycle, I think he was telling me. Leave room for new skills and creativity to emerge. I love David White's prodding us to look at nature. There is creativity and destruction in nature, hiddenness and growth, new life bursting out and then decay, wildfires, and hurricanes. We live in the full cycle of creativity and destruction. In fact, I believe creativity is manifest throughout the vast cosmos. This creativity is what led to the emergence of life on this planet, its evolutionary expansion in countless directions, and the painfully slow evolutionary developments that at long last brought us humans into being. Humans capable of becoming aware of this magnificent panorama of which we ourselves are a part, and that can and do stand in awe and gratitude 
before the serendipitous creativity that has brought all of this forth and has given us life. In fact, I choose to name this serendipitous creativity, this emergence of the new and novel, God, the ground from which we spring and the abyss to which we shall return. Illusion number two, I can construct a life where I will have no broken heart. We all know that heartbreak occurs in our romantic relationships and with our kids and families for sure. But then we hope that our armored professional personalities will prevent us from having our heart broken at work. But White reminds us, if you are sincere about your work, it should break your heart. You should get to thresholds where you do not know how to proceed. You do not know how to get from here to there. What does that do? It puts us into proper relationship with reality. Why? Because we have to ask for help. We don't have a choice whether heartbreak will occur, but we do have a choice over the people and things and projects that we deeply care about. Somewhere along the line, I realized that following my call to ministry was worth risking some heartbreak and asking for help along the way. I can now stand here and count all of the people who have helped me on my journey. Seminary professors, mentors, my internship supervisors, colleagues, friends, unity congregants, and all of you. And my mother, who has been supporting me all along. What a blessing these people have been to me, and my gratitude is deep and profound. The third illusion. We should only start a career or a major endeavor if the entire path is clear from beginning to end. <laughs> well, the only environment where that would be true is a flat desert, empty of all life. But even in a desert, the curvature of the earth will take the path away. You see the path, then you don't, then you see it again. White says that if we stand in the ground of our lives fully, not trying to escape from present heartbreak, and look at the horizon that is pulling us, we will realize that we are the whole journey. The road seen and not seen, the hillside hiding, then revealing the way you should take. The way forward is always in the end, the way we came. It brought us to this place, no matter that it sometimes broke our heart along the way walking from deep inside ourselves, willing to risk not knowing the path forward, in the end becomes a prayer of safe arrival. You arrive somewhere new, start down the path, and then you are presented with another invitation. Another invitation. Before I fully embraced my call to ministry, I started very slowly in seminary, taking one class at a time. It took me five years to graduate, but as I leaned into the mystery, letting go of seeing the direct path forward, I made room for grace to emerge. As my favorite theologian, Paul Tillich, says, grace is that thing which breaks into our lives and surprises us into wholeness. We are struck alive like a bell awakened with sound and purpose, and we ring with a new pattern. In grace, something is overcome, Grace occurs in spite of separation and estrangement. He says, grace is the reunion of life with life, the reconciliation of the self with itself. 
Grace is the acceptance of that which is rejected. He goes on to explain that we experience moments in which we accept ourselves because we feel we have been accepted by something greater than ourselves. It is in these moments that make us love our life, that make us accept ourselves and the certainty and meaning of our existence. This is what seminary in finding my call to ministry has done for me. It has confirmed the meaning and purpose of my existence, the ground and aim of my being. My life has been transformed by acceptance because I know I'm accepted by that which is greater than me. Ministry, pastoral care, organizing the Poor People's Campaign, facilitating a Soul Matters small group, teaching our children how to be religious, all of these things affirm the meaning of my existence. I love working in a congregational setting, so much so that I now claim congregational theologian as my call to ministry. For me, theology begins by identifying the very crisis of reality itself, what it means to be finite human beings facing the mystery and uncertainty of existence. It is my deepest desire to help Unitarian Universalists tap into the theological riches of our tradition, identify our deepest convictions and ultimate concerns, to live authentic and meaningful lives, and to connect to the creative and mysterious power source at the depths of our being, which I call God. So church, as we sit on the cusp of a new season, the beginning of a new church year, how might we slow down together and listen to our lives telling us who we are? What spiritual practices can we embrace that will help us see life not as an obstacle course to get through, but as a host of holy voices calling us to greater loving and living? Grace breaks through in so many places. Down in a Sunday school class when our children teach us, during a small group meeting when our shy soul finally has space to show up, and at the courthouse while we bear witness to the horrible injustices of our country's immigration policies. And I would add from our welcome this morning, perhaps volunteering here and welcoming homeless families into our church. Friends, when we stand in the ground of our lives fully, not trying to escape from present heartbreak, and look at the horizon that is pulling us, we will realize that we are the whole journey. May we arrive, accept life's fullest invitation, and journey together down the road. May it be so, and amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text FIRSTUNIV, that's F-I-R-S-T, UNIV to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.